Hi, I'm BJ, and this is the Arcane Alienist Podcast. It's RPG a day number 19. Today's prompt is theme, and I will get into that, but first, some calls. Hey, BJ, Jason here. I know I've been blowing your phone up, but you, you kind of baited me in with the Masters of the Universe topic and the talk of the original mini-comics, which you can get a collection of those, by the way, from Dark Horse. I don't know if it's still being produced. You might have to pay a little bit more if they're not printing the book anymore. You could get a PDF of it. Or not PDF. You can buy it, you know, Kindle. But anyway, yeah, I remember those mini-comics in those, like you say, the dark days before Prince Adam. Prince Adam was always the thing I hated the most about the cartoon because I had the comics, mini comics and the toys, and the cartoon came on. I was like, wow, this is going to be great. And, and, you know, it came on, they had Prince Adam. You're like, what the heck is this? This is this stinks. Of course, I still watch the cartoon. Um, but, yeah, and, and, you know, it's funny because Prince Adam was a smart thing marketing-wise. You know, I think they made the right move in doing it to hit a target audience and to, to build mythos and do things like that. Because when you look at their target audience with the kids and everything else, Prince Adam probably was a pretty smart thing to do, really. I, I think that was a savvy marketing decision. Because otherwise, it, it differentiated the show a little bit, too. So, uh, from just a straight, like a, a Thundar or something like that. But, I don't know. It, it, it or, or Black Star. Black Star just had the one dimension, you, you know, but where this had the different dimension. But it was crushing if you knew the property ahead of time. It's like, well, it's like if they made a Conan movie and Conan had a alter identity, you know, like Donald Blake, a Thor, right? And especially, the, you know, the decrepit Donald, Dr. Donald Blake, you know, the little guy with the cane kind of thing. If you did that to Conan, all of a sudden people would hate it. Although it might be popular because of the popularity of superheroes. I don't know. Maybe I'm out of touch. Hey Jason, yeah, um, I think we're we're of a similar mind on that as I've said before. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't like Prince Adam, but I, I continue to watch the show anyway because you know I was what seven eight years old. So what are you gonna do? <laughs> um, you know, my my son has been collecting the the Masters of the Universe. I think it's Origins that's that's out right now, um, where they're slowly re releasing. They're not identical, but they're fairly similar sculptures. They're a little more have a little more points of articulation to the originals, and they come with mini comics. And, and they're only they're 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 short. They're maybe half if that 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 much compared to the original mini comics with the the original toys. But they've sort of chosen to follow the uh, the Prince Adam continuity. Um, but um, but the action figures are great. Um, anyway. Uh, also, I'd noticed just just you're talking about Prince Adam, the Spectre creative who who the guy that that runs that used to be the uh, brand manager for Masters of the Universe. I've mentioned him a couple of times. He did a few months ago a video where he gave you the the script treatment he had put together for a Masters of the Universe movie when he still worked at Mattel because I guess they had tried several times and failed to do a new Masters movie and and he put a, a finally just said I'll write a script because he's by training a screenwriter. Um, and so it's a pretty interesting take. Um, 
you know, it, I think this is, I don't know if it would have, would have worked as a great movie. <laughs> you just have to see who, probably depend on which director and actors you put into it. But at least what he did with the, the Prince Adam thing was, it was the, an origin story of how Prince Adam becomes He-Man kind of in the final act of the movie. Uh, and it just eliminates the secret identity. I mean, this is his destiny that, that kind of, oh, man-at-arms and, and the sorceress and maybe even his parents actually know this is like this is where who he's supposed to become. Uh, so at the end, there's just no secret identity. It's just Prince Adam becomes He-Man, the, the, the protector of Grayskull, and, and there's no, I think even Skeletor <clears throat> and his minions know who, know who he is. So um, that's an interesting video if you've got about a half an hour to kill. Um, and that's a Spectre Creative on YouTube. I, I I think that video dropped maybe two or three months ago. I can't remember the date of it, but it's on there. You can find it in his playlist. Uh, but thanks for the call, and I think we've got one more from Jason here. BJ, I just want to say good work on finding the rules on in the expert set on page X11 on where it says the caster has to declare their spell before initiative dice are rolled. Of course, that conflicts with the combat section, as you noticed. Um, but, yep, you found it. So it's good to know I wasn't running the game wrong all these years. Although, I guess you could argue whether it's wrong or not, since the rules conflict with themselves. Anyhow, great find on your part. Take care. ABJ, hey, this is Menion, also known as Rob. So, I think we've, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit on audio, the audio dungeon excuse me, today, uh, I think we've sorted out the uh, the issue here with uh, declaration of uh, actions and uh, spellcasting. So, um, as you can see, it comes in, the, the part that you were looking for comes in in the expert rules. And I did actually read this uh, and forgot about it, <laughs> but I was looking for the same thing. I remember seeing it in OSE and then looking up in the BX, I couldn't see it. And I suppose this is a feature of bx and also of beck me where they sort of bring in further rule clarifications or further complexity as it sort of advances through the rule set you know as it becomes more necessary as you gain levels and so on anyway um it's been really interesting thanks so much for the episodes okay that was um uh jason of the nerds rpg variety cast and also followed by uh, minyan also known as rob from the um, Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy podcast, which I think has got to be the best name for a podcast I may have ever heard. <laughs> I love that name, Rob. Uh, and I think that's Rob's first call uh, to 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 our to my show. So, uh, but what they're both talking about was, um, you know, for a couple episodes now we we've talked about uh, in BX or Old School Essentials the uh, combat order sequence or order of operations i keep pulling that term in from mathematics but it's i think it's just recurrent to the, to the combat sequence in most places and i couldn't find the rule of where um first i was just kind of confused about the whole thing just things that don't make sense uh and then about the rule about where we got in in old school essentials the the mention that you have to declare a spell before initiative and it's actually i found it it's on page x11 of the expert rule book um was the original source for that and uh, just just to, to overview, what happens is you get the basic set, just levels one through three. It was an old box set, 
if you 1980-81. Um, and then you're supposed to buy the second set, and it, it will get your characters from level 4 to 14, I believe. And uh, it has some additional expansions of the rules. It doesn't replace the rules in the basic, it just expands on them. Uh, well, in basic, there's no mention of having to cast spells first. That That's a, an expansion that they add in the expert set. But when you compare the comparable sections of, on, on actual combat, neither one mentions casting spells before initiative. It's, it's in the section on spells and learning spells and, and preparing spells. Like in the, the previous, I mean, the books aren't long enough to have chapters. They might call them chapters, but... but it's like four or five pages before that in a completely different section and the, the description of combat in the, the expert book never references back to this new additional rule they've added of having to, to, to declare what, to tell the DM what spell you're going to cast before initiative is rolled. Um, and once I started reading this and going back through it, and, and it, it finally clicked. And it also helped that Daniel Norton, uh, man, it's keep a couple episodes ago, had left a, a longer message explaining kind of the, the process. But now it kind of all makes sense to me why it's laid out the way it is. Um, you know, if, if you... And, and I think it's mostly because of the, the effects on, on the person who loses initiative. You know, if, if you don't declare spells before initiative, there's no spell disruption because the winning side's spellcasters, just to get to cast their spells before the, the losing side can, can react. Um... And that's true whether you declare spells or not. But if the, the there's no declaration of spells before initiative, the losing side, you, you, the winning side has no way that the caster on the losing side is casting. And there's no opportunity to try to disrupt their spell. Um, and so spell disruption is supposed to be a thing. So it's just a consequence of, of your side losing initiative is you, you face the possibility of having a spell disrupted. But... By having to declare you're casting a spell before initiative is rolled, you're, you're committed to that action. As opposed to the movement and, and weapon combat. Um, you know, those are those those have less of a, I guess, less of an impact in, in, in turn. You don't have to declare those things prior to initiative because it doesn't matter as much, I guess. Um, and then the same thing, it's the same justification for why people have to declare withdrawals and retreats before initiative because it, it changes your armor class and it changes it, it gives you some some other options that if you didn't declare it before initiative a lot of people just decide after losing initiative oh well then I'm just going to retreat <laughs> or I'm just going to withdraw and so that's why those two things have to be done before initiative and then it makes much more sense that okay well a few people are going to have to commit to actions just so they keep them honest um, and then the winners move and then they, they shoot their missiles, and that gives an opportunity to disrupt spells uh, against the, the other side. Then their spells are actually cast, um, and then they resolve melee combat, and then the other side goes through the same thing. So it all makes more sense now why it goes in that order and why it's... Um, yeah, the light bulb finally came on for me. So I, I want to thank Daniel from his, for his call a, a couple episodes ago. Um, and... Uh, yeah, thank, uh, thank you guys for calling in. So, I think we've put that issue to bed, finally. <laughs> and I think in the, in the interest of full disclosure, I have to add that I actually did not solve the mystery of declaring spells on my own. It, uh, 
after after a couple of days of thinking about it and looking around on the internet, it suddenly occurred to me that I'm actually a member of the Old School Essentials Facebook group. Uh, so I just posted the question there, and, and literally within three minutes or less, I had a response. It's on page X11, so um, I thank the uh, the person in that Facebook group who oriented me there. I don't, I don't know. Don't have permission to say their name or even know if that the name they use on Facebook is really who they are, but I do appreciate that. And it's kind of absurd that it didn't occur to me to go there first because if nothing else, Gavin Norman, that I think he manages that group. So I got a response from him sooner or later, if not somebody else who knew. So yeah, after, after all that head scratching, it, it took two or three minutes to get, to get an answer online. So, uh, Hey, speaking of concise writing, and I know it's been bandied about a bit, BJ, but uh, I would say Savage World, the rule book, is pretty precise and concise writing by Shane Lacey Hensley. So I think he does a good job of presenting the work. It's easy to, even if you don't go to the index, it's easy to find what you're looking for. It's organized pretty well. And then the rules are pretty right there. This is how you do this. You know, you're looking for how to even even in the uh, supplemental books like Deadlands, you're looking how how to do a duel. Here's a duel, right? You don't have to go flip back and forth, and things aren't cross-indexed ad nauseum. So I think uh, Pinnacle in general has a good editing team, and Shane Hensley is a good writer for the topic of writing. And that was Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents podcast. Uh, yeah, I you know I have sadly never gotten a chance to get into Savage World. I think I've thumbed through at one point the uh, the rule book, or maybe I've just read summaries of the rules somewhere on the internet. I need to get a copy of that just to have for reference, um, and uh, maybe 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 I'll get a get to play it someday. Um, but yeah, I think Carl, you're 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 reiterating the point of. Uh, Good writing and good editing is is a, is a big part of modern publications, and, and I think even even just the previous topic on um, confusion confusion about uh, the sequence of, of what you do in combat in BX D and D comes down to the, those books were kind of written very well, the the, the basic and the expert and, and sort of evocative and, and plain spoken language, and in one hand they were really good. I think in the writing. But the layouts <laughs> could be a lot better, and that's really the strength of old school essentials. It kind of took that stuff and put it in a better layout that's a little bit more friend- friendly to use. Um, so I, 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 I always appreciate um, the whole package of, of someone who can write very well, so that the the, the, the language it flows and it's it's clear and 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 easy to read, but then also. You know the the organization and layout, which is much more of I think it's it anymore it's a copy editor job. I, I think is also important. Um, you know, if you're doing a small self publication of a few pages, it that's a, that's that's not too unwieldy. But when you start getting these, gosh, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred huge page volumes that 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 the big big publishers put out, relatively big publishers. Um, you know, it takes a crew to, to do that. So I, yeah, always appreciate when you have a well, well-designed product.
Well, that's it for calls. Uh, again, I want to thank the callers, uh, Jason Connerly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast, Mignon of Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy, and Carl of the uh, Geomologist Presents. Uh, be sure and check out their podcasts. Those are all also available through Anchor and I think pretty much anywhere that pulls in Anchor as far as podcatchers, so iTunes and Spotify and all those places. Make sure and check them out. So now we'll turn to the topic of today, which is theme. And I don't know. Again, this is another one where we kind of the things start to bleed together. What's the theme of a campaign? Well, that involves the the, the writing and the rules and the um and all that kind of stuff. I guess when I think of, of theme one. It, I don't know if theme and genre are the same thing. You know, is it fantasy, sci-fi, horror, mystery, uh, military campaign? What, what what's the what's the genre? Um, but I guess themes can run through anything. I mean, you can, you can do science fiction, and it'd be a horror theme, like with, with something like Aliens, um, Predator. Those have those have horror themes. I mean, I mean, Alien is basically you know was originally a they said, let's make a haunted house movie, but they're just in a spaceship. That was, that was the original pitch, I think. And then Predator is basically a slasher movie where the slasher is an alien. Um, so, you know, the, the sequels may have evolved away from the original premise and become more action sci-fi movies. But, but the first two in those series were, were definitely intended, I think, as horror movies as much as sci-fi movies. Um, and you can do the same thing with fantasy Um you know, you can have different themes of political intrigue versus dungeon delving versus uh, exploring a new area. You can have a swashbuckling theme versus a more grounded theme versus a dark fantasy theme, which again may incorporate elements of horror at times. Uh, but I think theme, as I'm, as I'm thinking about it, is important Uh I think it's important to let people know when you're going to run a game what those themes are. Uh, maybe a little bit for safety, as we've talked about before, but but I think mostly because I think players need to know what they're signing up for. You know, if if you're if if, if they're going and expecting kind of a lighthearted, um, you know, low stakes for the most part. Uh, swashbuckling kind of a game uh, and you're going to deliver this sort of hardcore dark fantasy grim perilous not that the two can't overlap because they, they can but uh, that may not be what somebody's up for you know if, if, if they want to play in a game where heroes are heroes and villains are villains and we don't have to think about it too much um, and then you're going to present a morally gray grim you know you know, everybody's a jerk. <laughs> there are a few heroes in the world. You can't trust people. That that kind of a nihilistic kind of a campaign, which can be a lot of fun. Um, players need to know that that's what, what, what you're getting into. And that's, I'm, I'm using fantasy as an example because I run D&D and I play mostly D&D. But, but I think that's true also of, of, of all the other genres I mentioned. You know, what are we, what are we doing here? Is our military-themed campaign kind of G.I. Joe? Um, or is it like a serious, you know, gritty, uh, you know, type of, type of military campaign? Uh, 
um, is it a, if we're going to run a Western again, is it kind of an old fashioned white hat, black hat, Lone Ranger kind of game? Or are we doing a, you know, a revision, you know, the more the, the post Clint Eastwood, you know, it's just going to be a fistful of dollars. Everybody's in it for themselves and uh, that kind of thing. So I, the theme is important. And, and I think, you know, you can have fun with any kind of theme as long as everybody at the table is having fun. But you need to know what you're getting into. Uh, just just so players know what to expect and, and there's no hey man I didn't sign on for this this is this is not what I'm because you know sometimes we come to the game for different reasons um, you know we, we mostly we come to enjoy ourselves although people can't enjoy themselves with serious themes with, with horror themes with with uh, those kinds of things but we come to the game kind of as a way to get a break from everyday life and if you know I, I think if I look back over the characters I've made at different points <laughs> in different games probably at least at the point that I made them in quarter the, the, their character the character kind of solidified in my head as do they were a lot of times that they probably were ways that I was trying to explore a different mindset or a different approach because of what was going on in my life at the time, you know, that when I, when I make a fighter, maybe because, you know, I'm in a place in life where there are, there are obstacles that I wish I could just beat down <laughs> with a stick or with my bare hands and just blow through it and not have to deal with talking about stuff or thinking through stuff. Um, and so, you know, it's refreshing to play a fighter or a barbarian when, when the real world is, is giving you things where you have to be able, you can't just bull your way through um, versus other times maybe when I'm more in a contemplative mood I think oh, I'm going to play a, a wizard or a monk or a cleric um, and bringing that into those types of characters uh, so I think we have themes to our characters not just themes to the game and if the theme of your character doesn't fit the theme of the game there's going to be a problem you know if everybody's in to play a, a fairly serious game and uh you decide to make a character who is just constantly cracking jokes like like tony stark in a Mar marvel movie it may not fit the theme i mean you, you know, certainly do someone with a, if it's a dark game and someone uses dark humor maybe that works you know uh, there, there are no absolutes there but um yeah if you make a, a silly character with a silly name and a silly um you know, persona and, and stuff that doesn't fit the tone. Um, it can get, you know, might irritate other people. And you may not find that you enjoy it as much. Um, same thing if you make a, a grim, brooding, humorless, take you know, and you, not just the character takes them seriously, but you take it very seriously. And you're in a lighthearted uh, kind of fairy tale campaign that may not be a good, you know, match you may be kind of going against the grain and spoiling what the dm is throwing out there and what the other players are trying to pick up uh, and they're not having fun and then you're not having fun either so i think i think the key is to be flexible with the theme and just make sure things fit together um but you know they're, they're, like i said there's no absolutes you can you can definitely make plan against type plan plan kind of the foil to <laughs> the rest of what's going on can, can be a legitimate um theme for your character uh, but you got to, I think I was said before, if you're going to play a, a 
a character who's somewhat disagreeable or um, antagonistic to uh, you know in, in terms of the role playing you got to do it with a light touch to make sure that it, it furthers the enjoyment of everybody and it kind of fits with everything that's going on so um, so those are my thoughts on the theme um, I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head here it's late I need to go to bed Anyway, uh, thanks again to the people who called in for today's show, and I'll be back tomorrow. And that's it for this episode of The Arcane Alienist. I want to thank Dave Bone for the cover art that I use for the episodes. Check out ironseer.com. And the music is Come and Get It by Scott Holmes Music. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, Give me a call sometime through the Anchor app or at the Anchor website, and I'll be back in the future with another episode.